This comes from the writing of Annie Lamott. Let's settle this God thing once and for all. God or no God? Who on earth knows? Any proof either way? None except for Bach, foxes, forgiveness, elephants, bulbs, and my dog Lily, may she rest in peace. Also the fact that someone like me could have 28 years without alcohol. Also ripe peaches, books, and Mr. Rogers. There is infinite good and beauty and heroism and artistic genius everywhere we look. Is this proof of God? No, because there is also infinite evil and madness. I am not going to name names. What do we even mean when we use the word God? For the sake of argument, let's say we mean a higher power, a power greater than our thinky thoughts, good ideas, grudges, positions, and opinions. A divine mind, a benevolent intelligence of some sort, some kind of bankable love energy. Sometimes that hear, something that hears us and cares when we cry out in our pain and mortification. I also like the Dead Riadada's definition of God as the cosmic muffin. <laughs> but what if the most illustrious atheists and agnostics hear that we actually believe this? It's none of your business what they think. People get to think and believe what they think and believe. You will never change them or they us. Surrender. Lay your weapons down. Let me make you a nice cup of tea. Because the real question is, how do we live in the face of our having to die one day? How alive are we willing to be? Why do we keep hitting the snooze button? What will it take for us to stop squandering our time? Well, what's the answer? What does it take to get serious about this life we've been given, even if we don't know if God gave it to us or chance? Usually it takes a, either a terminal illness or a DUI, but must it? Is it legal to believe in evolution and all aspects of modern physics, yet also believe in a personal God, a beloved, a sacred dimension to our lives? Yes, in some states. <laughs> and yes, in each of you. It's a wonderful reading, isn't it? Here is our world. Beautiful things happen this season, and so do hard things. And let us keep our hearts tender through it all, and let us keep our eyes, our eyes soft and our words true to the people around us, because this is what you and I are trying to be about, at least, which is that we know there is no answer but to love each other, and we bear witness against unnecessary destruction when we can. And then we, we come here 
on Sundays and other days of the week to, to this community to practice being the person that we say we want to be. We cannot do everything, but we can do something, and that something is never nothing. So let us, especially, my goodness, this time of year, forget our perfect offering. There is a crack in everything, and you can say with me if you'd like to. That is how the light gets in. As Alan reminded us a couple weeks ago, that's how the light gets out too. Right, Alan? So my laptop can only handle so much Christmas shopping and Netflix watching and Sunday worship writing. So recently, of course, it showed me the blue face of death and required a total reboot, which in addition to resetting the font settings and restoring the pixel count and reloading the printers and the apps and the iTunes and the Spotify and the Google and the blah 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 <laughs> also required me to reset my spam filter, which I learned this week. Are you ready to, for me to drop some knowledge? <laughs> it comes, of course, from the meat product, spam which I learned was created in the 1930s during the Depression when people needed a cheap, non-perishable source of protein and refers to spiced ham, hence the name Spam, and only came to refer to unwanted junk email when, on March 31, 1993, a guy named Joe Furr accidentally sent 200 copies of the same email to his coworkers and apologized to the group for sending them spam, as in fake messages, just like the fake meat. How about that? Time for the final hymn. <laughs> I mean, we have so much talking this time of year. Okay, except this. When one resets your spam filter, which I, I feel like I need for my spirit, right? <laughs> and not just my email in this day of too much of just about everything except for stillness and love and politics that we can be proud of. When you reset it, you can set it to low strength filter, you can set it to medium strength filter, and you can then send it to the high strength and letting my friends through filter. And because I was feeling generous, so generous and hopeful about the human condition, I set it on low. <laughs> because I only have one email address. I don't know if you knew that. And it has Rev in the name now. And none of you would spam me, right? That didn't seem as uniform as I was expecting. <laughs> and no one in the wider world would spam a person of the cloth. I mean, never. So imagine my surprise when that two minutes later comes the first of many personal messages just for me. Dear Nathan, do you want to save up to 85% on printer ink? I actually do. I mean, dear Nathan, apply this new ointment to get rid of skin tags in just minutes. Dear Nathan, 
Are you a Christian single looking for love? <laughs> Want to meet someone of faith to mingle with and maybe even make a match? Karen, my wife Karen got that one too. <laughs> Dear Nathan, relieve the discomfort in your ears. Never hear ringing again. Dear Nathan, get all your hair back fast. Dear Nathan, check out these bicycles on closeout sale. I'm going to move that one to save file. <laughs> Dear Nathan, every, four, every hour, four Americans are killed by guns. Forward this email to four new people, encouraging them to take action. And then this one, which I, I need to summarize because when I printed it out, it was seven pages long, not including color photos. Double-sided. Dear Minister Nathan, maybe those folks who called out a war on Christmas were right. From society's steady drift towards secularism to schools banning Jesus from Christmas events to Americans admitting they'd rather open presents than attend church, in seemingly every measurable way, Christmas is trending toward a godless holiday, Nathan. In a culture saturated with false gods and idols, the Bible teaches there is only one true God. And then there's a page of scripture references. Did you know that 90% of the email says of Americans will celebrate Christmas this year, but just 51% will attend a church service? How did Santa overtake Jesus in popularity? Minister Nathan, have you considered the wonderful love of God as expressed in the birth, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ? Open your heart, Minister Nathan, and receive him as your personal Lord and Savior and ask him to forgive your sins and you will have eternal life. Nathan, if you're reading this today and you've never committed your life to God, would you now? If so, visit this important website below and get ready. Get ready for your eternal life. Signed, John, 5003 at AOL.com. P.S. Minister Nathan, Merry Christmas. Well, there's a lot there. But before I, well, after I rolled my eyes and before I hit delete and sent John to block, I thought to myself, why not? Why not respond? So, friends, here is my reply to John 5003 at AOL.com, which I sent this morning. Dear John, thank you for taking the time to reach out during what is a busy season for all of us, particularly clergy and church staff. Did you know there are five Sundays in December this year? And on top of all the extra Christmas Eve services, Ever wonder, John, how come God does not pay overtime? <laughs> Maybe we should unionize. So listen, I think that in, your past, in the past your emails might have gone straight to my spam filter, and I'm sorry about that. 
But I got this note and I did not want to go too long without responding because you took the time to reach out in a lengthy way, which I appreciate, even though that I know and you know that email is great for sharing information, but not so great for sharing emotion. And I sensed a lot of emotion in and between your words, John. I have some emotion too, because these words like God, Jesus, Christmas, sin, eternal life are such loaded words. And each of us have so many personal stories that have to do with family and childhood and hurt and doubt and wondering that when we hear them, I sometimes think that they ought to come with trigger warnings. Religion, and especially God's name, John, have been used by people as a weapon. And when that happens, you need to be gentle. I know this because when I use some of these words in my preaching, I can watch people's faces and bodies, and I can see some of them wince when I use these words, and some look towards the ceiling in dismissiveness. And I can see others lean forward in the pews, and others still lean as far back in the, that the pews will go. And this is the thing about ministry, John, is that I'm, I'm trying to reach all of them where they are. Because preaching and ministry is so much less about talking and much more about listening. And everyone, no matter who they are, John, deserves to know they have been heard. I mean, I don't know the Bible as well as you, but one passage that I love says how everyone should be quick to listen and slow to speak and slow to become angry. That's from James 1, verse, verse 1, uh, chapter 1, verse 9. See, I don't even know how to read the, the Bible. It's from James 1.19, John. Stay with me, John. Because that's the thing about the Bible. You can find a word or a passage that supports just about anything. Because the Bible was written by people and translated from the Aramaic to Hebrew to Greek to English and compiled over hundreds of years and reflective of its time and its place and its authors. And it doesn't, it doesn't make it irrelevant, John, or false or, or spam. It just makes it inconsistent. So, John, do I believe that Jesus was born of a Virgin Mary and angels sung in the stars? No. But do I believe that the story teaches us something true and important about how the holy, the transcendent, how God is revealed in humble places of poor, undocumented parents, for example, in a manger, that this Christmas God is at the border and not in Natick Mall? Yes, John, I believe that. John, sometimes I think that fundamentalism on the right and the left sound a bit the same, both saying these stories have to be literally true or literally not true. I mean, isn't there truth, John, in fiction? And yes, John, I understand that that last paragraph has you screaming at your screen. It happened to me when I was reading your, your very long email. <laughs> How we learn to disagree with each other, John, without hating each other 
is maybe some of the most important religious work of our time. Much more than putting Christ back in Christmas or ending the supposed war on Christmas. Which leads me to this, John, and it's going to, going to be hard for you to read, but stay with me. I read in your note a longing for the good old days when Christmas was celebrated for its true spiritual meaning and there wasn't all of this commercialism and shopping. I felt that way too. But here's the thing, John. This kind of Christmas, the true Christmas that was only about Jesus and spiritual matters, it never really existed. Because, in fact, Christmas over the centuries has always been this, like, total hodgepodge of celebration and merriment and presents and greenery and getting together and buying frivolous decorations and story. All of them, so much of them, have to do with the winter solstice. John, stay with me. Because long before lights and cell phones and TVs illuminated our homes, the darkness and the cold and the retre retreating sun made people sad and scared and depressed. So the people started to see the sun return when that happened, as it will later this week. These people celebrated the event with big dinners and singing and exchanging gifts. Sound familiar? Some of their symbols and revelry are still with us, John. Holly and ivy and decking the halls with greens. And John, I even hope this tradition that you've tried, kissing under the mistletoe. I hope that's happened for you, John. Another fact, John, the early Christian church did not celebrate Jesus' birth at all. Stay with me. In other words, John, there were no Christmas Eve services and no pageants and emails asking and arguing about it all that, that you sent, and no signs in Sudbury that I passed by saying, demanding that I put the Christ back in Christmas this year. Only over centuries, and only after the solstice feast turned totally crazy, John, did Christians seek to offer an alternative, calling it Christ's Mass or Christmas. Another fact, John, no one was as hard on Christmas as the Puritans, the ones who built the pews that my congregation sits in who thought that Christmas was not biblical and Jesus would not have approved of any birthday celebrations. They ordered shops to stay open on Christmas. They banned holiday cakes and candles and also managed to have the Massachusetts Congress declare Christmas illegal from 1659 to 1681. Actual fact. And last, John, the Unitarians are actually to blame, so I'm sorry, because Christmas, <laughs> Christmas as we know it didn't get going until the mid-1800s, and that was largely because of one story, A Christmas Carol, written by Unitarian Charles Dickens. Another fact, John, if you have a Christmas tree at home, you, you can thank for that Charles Fallon, minister of our Unitarian Universalist Congregation in Lexington, Massachusetts, who introduced the idea of Christmas trees to New England, which had German and, stay with me, John, pagan roots. And, best of all, John Unitarian James Pierpont wrote Jingle Bells. <laughs> so, in writing my email, 
and writing your email to me, you actually came to the source. <laughs> Big surprise. But I cannot apologize because I'm not sorry, because while I agree that sometimes the consumerism and the show-offness and the over-the-topness can obscure the sacred lessons of the nativity story and drive way too many of us to try to Amazon shop our way into salvation and add debt upon debt upon debt and show up and off our economic disparity. It's also true, John, that I, that I, just, I just love Christmas. I love the lights and the ornaments that have my kids' pictures from when they were babies until now they're full-grown teenagers. And tomorrow I will inflate this giant inflatable Darth Vader Santa on my front yard. <laughs> and John, I, I love to treasure and treasure people that happens when I think of a gift they will love. This year I'm giving my mom a CD player because she can't play any of the CDs that, are, that my dad, her husband, has. She's got no way to fill her house with music. So I got her that. And the mounds of paper that the dog is going to roll in and the singing and the candlelight of the beautiful service here, both of them on Christmas Eve, and yes, even John, the sadness of a first Christmas without my dad, because now the stories of him always come over the holidays. He, the best gift giver ever, including my first real, really nice bicycle that he put under the tree when I was seven. John, all of this is God to me. Love, family, people who draw me out of myself, a congregation that I adore, lessons and carols that sing me toward being a better person. You ask me, John, to believe and believe and believe and believe in God, and you seem angry that I don't. And what I want to say, John, is that, that God is not about belief to me. It's about experience. As our worship says, it's wrote in, this, in the beautiful write-up, it's about, it's about imagination. It's, it's about remembering that God is not God's name, John, but instead little tiny experiences that, that teach us that life is more than lists and appointments and commutes and vacuuming, but also the way that the sun rose over Lake Winthrop last Tuesday morning, stunning the dog and me into absolute stillness. And... It's, it's about a relationship with an extended family member that has deepened this fall after years of gliding on the surface. And John, God is how a church in Natick Center has put today empty chairs in front of its sanctuary for all of the babies killed in Newtown six years ago, chastening me to remember my promise that I made to my congregation to work for gun control in the midst of all the holiday hoopla God, for me, John, is just not a noun. It's not a thing. It's a feeling. It's a moment. It's a movement. It is a big hug. It is a protest sign. It is a march. It is a face. It is a horizon. 
It's never enough, John. It is never enough. But it is. And so Merry Christmas to you. Maybe in the new year we can, we can write each other more. <laughs> I have much more to say, as I, ex I expect that you do too. Good thing, then, John, that, that we have ears to hear and eyes to see and mouths to speak and arms, John, to open. I expect both of our gods want from us nothing less. Sincerely yours, Minister Nathan. P.S. Amen. <laughs>